CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to a special options action to end an astonishing week of trading. Yesterday, the Dow plunged over 800 points, leading the markets in a landslide. All when investors rushed the exits of the crowded tech trade. Today, investors caught their breath, their breath, but are still left asking, what now? Well, we will help you with that. With us tonight, Carter Braxtonworth, Tony Zhang, and Mike Coe will show you where you can go. But as they say, first, you have to know where you have been. So, Carter, where have we been? Well, we've been in a moment of speculative excess that has gone on for a long time. Uh, that, in fact, was going on in January and February, at the, and then the plunge and the ricochet. But let's look at a few slides to try to uh, prove it, so to speak. Uh, the precondition of excess. You see these bullet points here. Basically, S&P 500 before this sell-off this week uh, at an all-time high. We know the price to sales, a fundamental measurement of valuation at an all-time high. We know the S&P is up 42% on a five-month basis, and the NASDAQ 100 up some 57%. So the precondition of excess. And then the next slide, the second precondition, divergence. So as the market is making all-time highs, you see here, of course, that only 16% of the S&P constituents were making all-time highs. Index doing it, but the parts not. Also, the average stock, Forget about making an all-time high. The average stock in the S&P is 28% below its all-time high. That's not now. That's on Monday, Tuesday, before we sold off. And then finally, basically, you see the number there, 46%, half of all stocks in the S&P 500 have no gains for two years. Uh, this is the precondition of divergence and the precondition of excess. And so then uh, the next slide, take a look. What we know is we have a very uh, rare circumstance where the NASDAQ 100 uh, drops 10% in a two-day period. It's only happened 17 times in the history of the index going back to 1984, so a very low probability. And yet, then finally consider this. What about of those 17 times where the NASDAQ was up as much as 50% in the preceding five months before dropping like this 10% peak to trough in a, in a two-day period. That's only happened one other time before. It was April 14th of the year 2000, near the dot-com peak. A few charts. The first, this is the channel that the QQQ has been living in. You can see it there. It's a well-defined, ascending, up and to the right uh, sort of affair. Now, take a look at the same chart pulled back for one year, putting in perspective the move QQQ, and we're just now breaking below uh, that uptrend. The final chart, if and as we were to simply check back to the January peak, which is exactly what the S&P has already done, you have another 11, 12% to go for the QQQ. Wow. So the thinking lot, here is yeah. We're, not, yeah, we're not likely done. Yeah, yeah, a lot more downside looks to come. Uh, Tony, a lot of people are making uh, the point that there is tremendous call activity here. So it seems like there might have been clues in the options pits. 
Yeah, so unfortunately what we saw here this week I think is the new normal um, where we have longer and longer periods of this suppressed volatility followed by this massive violent explosion in volatility. And this is, in my opinion, due to some of the short-term positioning that we're currently seeing in these very short-dated out-of-the-money options that have seen an explosion in volume over the past uh, couple of years but also an acceleration over the past few months. Because if you look back the past 15 years, if you look at the put-call ratio, over the past 15 years, it's never the 20-day put-call ratio has never been below 0.7, meaning calls have never output, uh, outpaced puts a significant amount for a long period of time. But for the year 2020, 34% of trading days, the 20-day put-call ratio has been below 0.7, meaning calls have been outstripping calls by a substantial margin. And not only that, what's more importantly is the fact that 75% of single stock options volume is now traded in options that expire in less than two weeks. Now short dated options like that have a high amount of gamma. So what that means is that market makers that are trying to delta hedge their exposure can sometimes go from buying a lot of stock to substantially selling a lot of that stock in a very short amount of time. And when you have less liquidity, you see sell-offs like we saw here over the past couple of days. Now, if we look at the concentration in this type of short-dated out-of-the-money call option, which we can measure using call skew, it is fairly contained to just a few names, predominantly the FANG names that we've seen here over the past few weeks. So I do think that the sell-off we've seen here over the past couple of weeks is fairly contained. And as Carter said, as, as you can see in the, in the small caps in the equal weight indices, they did not participate in the rally. They also didn't participate as much in the decline as well. So from my perspective, I do think that the sell-off is fairly contained. And I think the lesson here for retail investors is to generally stay away from these really short dated out of the money call options. And while I don't have any hard data to back this up, but I'm willing to bet over the last 10 plus years of options action, there have probably have been very few trades that have been traded that are one to two weeks out that are relatively far out of the money. Well, Mike's been here the whole time, so is so, so have I. <laughs> Mike, um, just quickly in terms of in terms of what you made of of this sell off this week, what stood out to you? Uh, well, you know, I think what's uh, what's old is is new again. Really, uh, you know, a lot of what we saw coming into this week uh, reminded me a lot of what we saw in 1999 and early 2000. What we saw was a lot of speculative excess in equities. We saw heightened valuations for sure. But one of the things that stood out, and we highlighted this a little bit on Fast last week, and then we talked about it a little bit this week too, that is that when you're about to see a blow off top, one of the things that often accompanies that is that as you hit new all-time highs, volatility actually starts to rise as well. That's an unusual circumstance because normally we associate steadily rising markets with declining volatility. And I think that usually signals that greater level of uncertainty and speculation, fear and greed battling each other out right there. And of course, then you get something like what we had. And as Carter pointed out, what we saw yesterday was quite extraordinary. He was talking about the tech sector. I was looking at it from the perspective of the S&P, which is largely what we tend to trade. And it, there, too, is a very unusual set of circumstances. And if we're looking for analogs in history, you know, you have a couple circumstances, like the credit crisis, like the tech wreck, like the U.S. credit downgrade, things like this. What happened thereafter? Uh, and what's interesting to me is that if we take a look at the situations where the market rocketed higher after seeing that kind of a deep decline, they were usually associated with near-term 52-week lows. That's not what happened here. 
So we have to sort of eliminate those among the possibilities and then start focusing on other analogs. And when we look at that, mm -hmm. I get a little bit less rosy. So I'm not really that optimistic. Is there a possibility that we get 10% upside between now and the end of the year? I think so. That's obviously possible. But I also think it's possible that we're not done. All right. Well, if you caught the show last week, you might remember that Mike said it was time to hedge and he offered up a way with the QQQ. But instead of looking back on that open trade, we're going to look ahead to how the market could affect your position next. So, Michael, go back to you on this. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that happens in a situation like this, you might feel, gee, you know, last week Mike was talking about a hedge. Now I've missed my opportunity. But actually, something that has happened because of this really big increase in volatility is different opportunities have actually presented themselves. I was looking out to November, the 260-230 put spread in the QQQs, and then selling the 305 calls against it. This is what we call a put spread collar, doing this trade, buying the 260 puts, selling the 230 puts, and selling the 305 strike calls. When I was looking at that early this morning, right after the open, you could put that trade on and actually collect about $6.60. So that represents about 2.3% of where the Qs were trading at the time. Now let's take a look at what happens here. If you have a position in tech stocks and the market rallies, you still get exposure up 10, 11% or so. Contrarily, if the market declines, if the Qs fell down to 230, that would be a decline of about 18% from where we closed the day today, you would have hedged about 75% of those losses. So you get definite asymmetric risk reward here. And of course, if the market just goes sideways, you're going to collect the premium that you, you know, collected on this trade to begin with. That's a yield of about 2.3%. So three things can happen. If the market rallies 10 to 11%, you're going to keep those gains. If it goes sideways, you're going to yield about 2.3%. And if it declines, you're only going to suffer about 25% of the losses of the broad market on an 18% decline or so. So two things can happen that are good. One is certainly a much less bad. And that only sets up because of the elevated volatility we're seeing. Here's something to think about. Those 305 calls I'm talking about right now, those were trading over $12 this morning. That's the same price they were last Friday with the market considerably higher. All of that is a function of the increase in options premiums. Tony, quick thoughts? Yeah, so the fact that Mike is able to take advantage of this elevated premium is what makes this collar so attractive. The ability to collect about a little over 2% of the market stays sideways, which is arguably what I think is likely going to happen in the short run. And if you do get that acceleration of the downside, you're hedged uh, almost 75% of your losses to the downside. I think this is a really smart move. Okay. For more options action analysis and ideas, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's still ahead. Still to come, the trauma is over, but the triage begins. More ways to rebuild and reinforce your portfolio cautiously. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Options Action. We've got a news alert on Tesla. Take a look there. Shares are down by 6% after hours, possibly as a result of not getting added to the S&P 500. The index just announcing, of course, that Etsy, Teradyne, and Catalint would be added to the index. But the notion that it would be added to the index is certainly one key driver in this tremendous rally, Carter, that we have seen. And, and by the way, we saw a heroic rebound in today's session in these shares. Well, it's interesting. That might be the key point, just what you said. So if you think about where it's indicated right now, around uh, 391, 392, uh, today's low is 372. So even with this post-close setback, it hasn't undercut today's low from which that uh, violent rebound occurred. The real issue, as always, is the issue of downside, yes, but what is the upside? The upside is capped, I would say, and that's important. It's a perfect example of one wants to stay long for hedging activity in the options market. All right. Let's take another look at today's sell-off, which capped off a brutal couple of days for the market as stocks careened off of all-time highs. Obviously, big tech took the biggest beating, but if you're wondering how to protect some of the other parts of your portfolio and maybe even play for a little bit of upside, we've got a way to do it thanks to Mike Coe. So, Mike, take it away. Yeah, so, you know, I was taking a look. I think we, many of us were at those sectors which might actually create some measure of outperformance if we continue to see weakness in tech. We had be- begun to see some green shoots in terms of rotation into financials uh, over the past couple of weeks. Tony was actually talking about that and Morgan Stanley last week. The thing is, even though there's good valuation story here, and even though I think the momentum is starting to turn in financials' favor, I also believe it's going to be a bit of a grind. There's a couple reasons for that. For one thing, obviously, we just saw the market get shellacked. And when you see that kind of thing, that's going to create some reluctance on the part of the investors to you know, basically dive in head first. There's another thing. We see significant difference of opinion. Consider what General Mills was saying at the end of the last show. He was thinking that maybe KBE wasn't necessarily poised to take off. And then you had Guy talking about the possibility that Citi could obviously do a little bit better. So there's a divergence of opinion, and that suggests there's going to be a little bit of a grind. Another thing to consider, of course, options premiums are elevated. So if we're trying to look for a hedged way to make a bullish bet, we have to find a way to mitigate that. I was taking a look at XLF a diagonal 26-28 call spread, buying the November 26s, selling the October 28th. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could spend about a dollar to do that trade. The 28 strike obviously representing an increase of a little better than 10% from where the XLF was trading as of the close. So the way you can think about this, it's a little bit like using a hedged overwriting strategy, essentially being protected because you're only buying a call and then trying to take advantage of that elevated volatility by selling that nearer dated upper strike 28 strike call in XLF. So I think this is a way that we can play a potential rotation increasingly into financials, but being cognizant that we're in volatile times. Yep. Uh, Let's get back to technology now, which, uh, as it turns out, is the home of the most widely held stock in the market, and that would be Apple, which is down more than 5% this week alone. But if you think the bottom is really about to fall out of the tech trade, don't panic. Tony is here to calm your nerves with a protection play on the world's most valuable company. So, Tony, walk us through it. Yeah, so my play here on Apple is really a continuation of our previous discussion about how I believe that this sell-off is going to be contained here with the volatility we've seen over the past couple of days. Now, if we look at Apple, we're really using Apple here as a proxy here for the NASDAQ 100 index. And if we look at the chart itself, 
there's no question about the strength of this particular chart relative to the technology sector, relative to the market, and arguably one of the stronger fundamental outlooks within the tech sector. So this chart, so from a stock technical perspective, from a fundamental perspective, I like it. And I particularly like the fact that it got back below the 20-day moving average. And that's actually the opportunity that I see for a potential long opportunity. But what's particularly interesting is actually something that Mike laid out here about the VIX and the S&P 500 is that the Apple implied volatility, the front month implied volatility has actually increased over the past couple of weeks as the stock has actually reached all-time highs. So we have this elevated implied volatility and that's what I'm looking to take advantage of, of selling some premium and collecting some, some, some volatility to, so that even if Apple stays sideways or perhaps moves a little higher, I'm going to be able to profit from this. So the trade structure I'm looking to use here is to go out to October and I'm looking to sell the 115, 105 put vertical here, collecting about $8.60 for that 115 put paying about $4.45 for that 105 put. Net net here I'm collecting $4.15 on a credit spread that's $10 wide. So I'm collecting 41% of the width on a credit spread that's actually a few bucks out of the money. Now I'm only able to do this because of the extreme stress or the extreme elevated volatility that we're currently seeing in this particular name. And this, this strategy has a break-even price of 110.85, which happens to correspond with the intraday low that Apple put in here today. Now, as Carter and Mike laid out, there is still the possibility that this tech sell-off is not done, which is why I'm using this put, uh, uh, this put vertical structure that has limited risk, so that even if this continues to, to accelerate to the downside, I'm only risking 5% of the underlying stock price to take this bullish view. Mike, what do you think of this trade? So uh, there's three things about it. First of all, I think selling credit spreads, if people who are watching are thinking about dipping their toe into the options markets, these might be the best strategies you could possibly contemplate as a way to get started because you do limit your risk and because the probability of profit is generally on your side. The other thing I happen to like about this is how much he's collecting is a difference between the strikes. So that's obviously very good. What I'm less sanguine about, though, is Apple itself. Apple right now is trading about 37 times forward earnings. This is basically peak valuations for a stock that's trading well above where it was before we saw all of the COVID uh, drawdowns. So this is not like the material pullback that we've seen over the course of the last week has brought us back to attractive entry points that we saw earlier this year. Very, very far from it. I mean, we consider that the stock was about $80 uh, on, you know, if we're looking at it on this post-split basis before we saw the pandemic pull up. That's a significant discount to where the stock is trading right now. And it was far lower than that even when we were looking at the March lows. So to me, uh, I absolutely love the strategy. I mm -hmm. like the, the math on the spreads. And obviously this is going to depend a little bit on your view on Apple, but I'm not bullish on Apple here. How does Apple look, Carter? It was another one of these stocks that had a great rebound in today's session. It did. It, look, it's beloved. We started the, by saying it's the most owned, right? All of us, the, this segment. But here's the thing. If you can drop 19% from peak to trough in two days, it's safety that it's perceived to be is, is just in the eye of the holder, meaning it is until it isn't. And so the real question is just knowing that this stock has had five 35% plus drawdowns over the past decade, 19% in two days aggressive, uh, I think you do have to have an option strategy because there's always the potential that there's a, another down like. All right. Up next, you still have more questions and we still have at least some of the answers, your tweets and the final trade. Stay tuned.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, any thoughts on FedEx going into earnings that has held up strongly during the sell-off the last couple of days? I currently have a vertical October 16, 200, 210 bull put spread. Tony, what do you tell Matthew? So I like FedEx, and as he said, it's held up pretty well. As to whether or not he should hold on to that trade, it really depends on your cost basis. If you've already collected more than 50% of the max profit on this put spread, it's time to take profits. You still have 40 days left to go. If you haven't reached that level, I do think that it's worthwhile to potentially hold it through earnings because your break-even is pretty far away from where the stock's currently trading right now. Carter, what do you think of FedEx's strength recently? Well, interestingly, of course, it is the number one constituent as a weighting in the Dow Jones transports. The transports had a very big day up. I like FedEx. All right. Our next viewer asks, if I'm neutral to bearish on Lululemon going into next week's earnings, what is a good way to play it with options? And this one obviously has to go to Mike because he has a, an inside track on this stock. Lulu has long been on what I call the Holly Index, one of my uh, wife's favorite stores to be sure, and she still loves their products. But do I love the stock here with the current price? Not so much, obviously. It has pulled back a little bit, but it's still very close to those all-time highs. I think your perspective is the right one. Right now we have elevated implied volatility. Look to sell upside call spreads. I think that's the way to make the play here. Yeah. What do you think of the chart card? You know, we had we had that call on Lulu today where the analyst over at City um, went to a neutral and it raised the price target and basically said, I can't possibly recommend it at a buy right now because I can't recommend that there's going to be a lot of upside from 400. Right. But raise the price target. It's all um, hard to contend with. But what we do know is it dropped 50 percent during the pandemic sell off. That's considerably more than the overall market. And obviously it's recovered. Uh, considerably more. But by all accounts, the word rich or full uh, comes to mind. The stock is full, and I would say trim, take measures. <laughs> Tony, would you also agree that the stock is full? This is uh, one that is beloved, obviously, people wearing yoga pants all over the place, especially during quarantine. Absolutely, especially with Peloton recently announcing earlier today that they're going to come out with a new bike and a new treadmill and competing with Lululemon on the mirror side. I do think that this is, uh, there's limited upside here for Lululemon. Oh, so three bears on Lulu. Okay, way to end the show. <laughs> Time now for the final call. The last word from the options pits. Carter Braxtonworth, what do you say? Well, NASDAQ 100 has been great, but it also took a bad hit. There is an expression, first loss, best loss. We're sellers of the QQQ. Tony Zhang. I don't think this is the end of technology. I still have faith here in a name like Apple. I'm selling put vertical credit spreads on Apple. Mike Coe, has Holly reduced her spend at Lulu during the pandemic? No, she hasn't actually. And she actually bought a big rowing machine, which she uses uh, almost every single day. So good for her. <laughs> I haven't been so good about things. But I will say this, where one opportunity is lost, another is gained. Elevated implied volatility make put spread collars on the triple Q a way that you can still hedge some of the gains that we've seen. And you still have some gains to be hedged.
All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great long weekend, but do not go anywhere. A very special CNBC summer school is in session right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.